So the title of the sermon today, and you can take out your sermon notes, we, we're back to fill in the blank. We're back to uh, uh, some PowerPoint, and uh, we're really focusing on the Holy Spirit today. Um, we'll give you a little bit of history about the day of Pentecost, but the, the title of the sermon today is Say What? What situations have you been in where you said that? Where somebody says something that throws you off, and you're like, what? What? So I remember, I remember uh, a couple times, I'll share with you real briefly for me, that maybe help you kind of get in there and, and, and dust off the archives of, of your VCR library of your life. I remember having had a, a, a beautiful dinner where my college friends were serving us. We were at a private residence, set this whole thing up for my wife, and... It was very romantic. It was Christmas time, and these people were like gonzo on Christmas. It was a little scary, actually. Um, but it was just beautiful. It was, like, it was like having a romantic dinner in the middle of Macy's Christmas presentation. And so it's just wonderful. And, and, and so our friends would come out and serve us these dishes and then go back. And, and my wife didn't know what to think. I was in a tuxedo, and she was dressed up because we'd been in a wedding earlier that day. Men, timing is everything, economically and spiritually. Okay. And so I just worked it out that we were dressed up, and so here we are, and, and uh, she's thinking, wait a minute, okay, he had this promise, which was on the seventh rose I would propose, and it was so fun to sit there and just watch her doing math in her head, and it wasn't really advanced math, you didn't even have to carry the two, right? It's like, no, I only have five roses, it's not happening tonight. And so, sure enough, right, right before dessert is served, here comes the rose, and it's served on, on this plate. And, you know, she appropriately starts crying, and then, you know, says, you know, I love you, and, and all those things, and that's great. And one of the best desserts we've ever had. And uh, so then the night was over, and we were leaving, and my wife, which was my girlfriend then, um, she's a little sad. And I'm thinking, why are you so sad? You got a rose. And I said that to her. You got a rose. Why are you so sad? And it's Christmassy, and we had a, a beautiful romantic dinner, and you're so sad. And, and she's just, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. And as we're leaving, there's this big heritage oak in their front yard, and it has a swing. I'm telling you, it was like Disneyland where, where we were. And uh, I said, um, you know what? Why don't you sit here? Sit on this, on this swing, and let's talk. Let's just talk. What's going on? What's bothering you? And, and she was like, well, just the mood was so perfect. I seriously thought that you were going to ask me tonight, but I only have six roses. I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm sorry. I should have thought through that. That's kind of cruel to do something like that, set you up like that. I mean, you're right. Everything was just fantastic. It was, it was like dialed in, wasn't it? And she's like, yeah. And I said, oh. I said, hang on just a second. I, I think I left something. And I walked behind the tree. And there at the base of the tree on a, on a lace pillow was a crystal rose that I had custom made from the glass blower at the castle at Disneyland. And so I came around the tree and I said, boom, in your face, man. 
I don't recommend that pathway if you're, you know, going to go down that path. No, I did, obviously I didn't say that. I came around the corner and there was a whole choir. The Mormon choir was behind me and, and there was a carriage and there was lighting that was going up and the guy from Survivor comes out to commentate the whole thing. No, it was just she and I and, and I, I got down on one knee and I presented the rose and I said, Janine, will you be my wife? And she said, yes. What do you think I said? Like it might be appropriate, like wahoo, yes, something like that. I kid you not, I said, uh, uh, what? <laughs> what? I just want to make sure. Uh, what? Because, you know, I spent years hearing from my, my mom and dad saying, nobody's going to marry you, man. <laughs> nobody's going to marry you. So, you know, crucial moment there. And I'm like, what? What, 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 what'd you say? Just want to make sure I got it. Pull out my recorder. I got it. Fast forward a few years. And I've taken students over to Israel. And we're in the plaza of the Western Wall, which is the area, to some degree, of exactly where we'll find ourselves in this Scripture. And we had, some of you have heard the story, but we had set up an opportunity for those students to communicate with their parents. But the parents needed to know what time we were going to be at the Western Wall. And so they're waiting. This is at the advent of webcams, right? And so we were all going to hold up signs and our parents could see us. We couldn't really communicate, but they could see us in real time. And it's kind of really exciting. And I had a gal with us named Erica Van Kirk. She was the daughter of one of our missionaries. And that missionary family lived deep, deep in the hill country of Mexico, where the Tahumari Indians are. They are miles, I mean miles, days away from any major city, any major town, any major technology. But they do have phones. And so the idea was that we would stop, we would go over to these pay phones. This is before cell phones were, you know, all over the place. And you would go over to these pay phones, call your parents, and say, tune in, get on the webcam. And so everybody's doing that, and I'm trying to keep track of everybody and see what's going on. And for a split second, I saw Erica just kind of standing there. And you've got to understand, we're surrounded by thousands of people from all over the world thousands of people. Now, most of them are Jewish, but, but there's others like us that are visiting because it's, it's one of the highest tourist areas in the entire world. And so I, I see Erica just kind of standing there. And I'm thinking, okay, she, she must have got her stuff worked out. And, and so then uh, I go over to the phones. And I say, okay, guys, come on. We got we to gotta do this. On the way back, Erica tells me this story that in that moment, she realized she forgot her area code to where she lives. And her parents were desperate to have this moment with her. It meant so much to her. And probably in that very moment that I saw her out of the corner of my eye, I had no idea that this was going on. But she was praying, God, you know how much this means to my mom and dad. I cannot remember my area code. Would you please do something? Help me so that we can have this time together. She finished that prayer and she turns around and standing as, as close as this front row is to me, right? There's a family that's a Mexican family. Now when I say that there's all different kinds of nationalities, I think that's the only time I've seen a Mexican family there at the Western Wall. And she opens her eyes, she turns around, she sees this Mexican family. 
and she's, she's not there yet. But she's pretty amazed. And so she walks up to them and, and, and says, excuse me, and she's speaking in, in Spanish, and she says, excuse me, I, I need some help. By chance, do you know where, and she mentions the province, not any cities, but the province. The end of the story is, those folks live five miles from her house. And so can you imagine Erica saying, what? What? And she was able to call her parents, and they were able to tune in. To this day, I I don't know if that was actually a real family, (laughs) or if those were angels. I have no idea. But you know what? That's what this is all about, what we're about to dig into. It's about saying, what? What are those things that amaze and astonish you? Because this is about to happen for the 120 church, right? So we pick up a little bit of the context and turn in your scriptures again to Acts 2. And as we leave Acts 1, what, what's been happening? It, it's been kind of fascinating. Um, and, and Peter stood up there in the upper room. Peter stood up and he's instructed the men on um, you know, the replacing of Judas and the establishment of new leadership according to Scripture. And, uh, and, and so that's done. That's taken care of. And so now Luke goes to the next thing. And I want you to understand this. Think about what we're hearing in the concept of a storyteller. He's telling you a story. If you were telling a story, what events would you include? What events would you not include? And I want you to see that what happens here happens within the span of a few days. All within Acts 1 and Acts 2 happens within the span of a few days. And so the church, the 120, have been gathered together and and they're praying. And we pick it up and it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Here they are again. Now what is the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost was a Jewish celebration, part of, again, the traditions of the Jews to celebrate God's goodness and kindness. Originally, in the Old Testament, it was a celebration uh, of the wheat harvest. And and offerings and sacrifices were given in, in that level. Uh, one of the times that I was over in Israel, I happened to be there in March when Purim happens, which was a celebration of what happened through, um, uh, uh, thank you, I kept wanting to say Ruth, um, with Esther and Mordecai, right? And the, and the uh, protection for God's people in the face of imminent death. And so Purim is a huge celebration. I mean, it is party, party, party. It's dress up in costumes. It's go. And I'm standing at the Western Wall just kind of sitting and, and journaling and taking And all of a sudden I hear drums and horns and all this stuff. And here comes this huge procession of thousands of people coming down to the Western Wall. And they're just going at it, man. They love to celebrate. And so Pentecost used to be the celebration of the wheat harvest. In the intertestamental period, that changed. A lot of things changed in the intertestamental period. Because the rabbis were instituted and created. The hierarchy of uh, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees was established. And that's when men took over from God. They said, we've got the reins. We're going to create this whole substructure of, of, of bureaucracy of religion. And so in that, in that process, they changed the focus of the day of Pentecost to focusing and celebrating the giving of the law to Moses. 
And so at this time, it was a very, very important celebration time of the year. It's 50 days after um, Passover. That's what Pentecost means, okay? So Jews from all over the known world had come to Jerusalem because that was part of your focus. That was part of your sacrifice was to come to temple, right? So there were Jews from all over, and we'll see that in a little bit. So hopefully that helps you understand a little bit about what Pentecost is. So let's break this down a little bit. The Spirit unites, not divides. These are our three points today. The Spirit speaks to all. The Spirit astonishes for truth. Feels a little bit like a game show, right? Which one is true? So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And now we know why they're there, right? Now some are permanently living there, but some have gathered there and are staying there, much like Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem for the, for the census, right? There are these things that you have to gather in that central area. So... There's devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together. At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. They were saying, what? What is that? Because each one was hearing them speak, them being the 120, in his own language. And they were what? Amazed and astonished. Have you ever been somewhere where something's going on and everybody just starts running? We used to do this in college. I hate to admit this to you. We used to go down to Westwood Village down there by UCLA. And, and you would have thousands of college-age students out on a Friday night. And what we would do just to create something where we would get on the news. This is before the internet, so this is all we could do to make ourselves famous. One, we would try to sneak into the UCLA psych ward and mess around in there. But that's not recommended. Um, secondly, we would gather people on corners and all of a sudden we would just start running to another corner. And next thing you know, you've got people running with you that have no idea why you're running. <laughs> I kid you not. And we could gather a crowd of hundreds of people and all of a sudden the police are gathered and then we just get out and people are just running around and they don't know why they're running around. It's amazing. Have you ever been somewhere where all of a sudden people are running somewhere because something's going on? That's what was happening. There was this mighty rushing wind. There were tongues of fire and people are saying, what is going on? What is being said? How come I can hear my own language? People here don't speak my language. The people were gathering and, and they're amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And this passage just goes through all the areas. All you need to know about this is that that. It was languages from the entire area, from Jerusalem. Listen carefully. Jerusalem, say it with me. Samaria, Judea, and to the utter ends of the earth. What does that remind you of? Jesus' words just a few days prior at the ascension. Hmm. Put on your CSI caps, folks. Because we're going to get there. Now, I want you to see verse 12 and 13. It says this. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What? 
what? How many of you kids, I see, some, I see some students and some kids in here, sometimes you come to church and you're like, what? Right? Right? Right, Lauren? What? What is this guy saying? Sometimes we get into the Word of God and we're like, what? I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I dare say the 120 were sitting in a room saying, what are we waiting for? What is it going to look like? When it, Peter, what's it going to... I don't know. I don't know. I've learned about being impulsive. I'm not going to tell you something because I'll probably be lying. Really? I thought that would play out a little bit better. <laughs> Carl, I mean, a rim shot maybe. That was pretty good stuff. That was solid gold right there. What? And so the people were gathered and they heard this and they're saying, what does this mean? Brothers and sisters, to you and I today, what does this mean? What does it mean, that which you say you believe in? Or that which maybe you're asking questions about? What does this mean? It is the most important question. We'll get to that. I played my cards a little bit early. But here's the other thing. But others mocking said they're filled with new wine. Oh, they're drunk. Don't pay any attention to them. It is amazing, these events from, from almost 2,000 years ago play out exactly the same way all the time when the Spirit shows up. But rather than be focused on those last two statements, I want you to be focusing today on regardless of what they said, regardless of their way to answer this question of what, they were amazed and astonished. That's what it means to encounter the Spirit of God. Let's break this down. The Spirit unites, it doesn't divide. Why are our churches divided? Well, here's the sad thing. I think a lot of time we give people reason to be critical, don't we? But you know, if you don't fill your car with gas and you run out on the side of the road like I almost did this, this past, I got down to like seven miles in my wife's car. You know, I'm driving my wife's car so I don't pay attention. And uh, I looked up and I'm downtown and it said seven miles to go. And I'm, now I'm paying attention, right? I'm saying, what? But let's say you don't pay attention and you're sitting on the side of the road and you run out of gas. How many of you say, I'm never buying that car again? This is the worst car ever. But yet this is what the world does. This is what we do to God's bride. Folks, the problem isn't with the plan. The problem isn't with the purpose. The problem is with the people. And so let's just understand that about ourselves and how fragile we are and understand that in light of that, how patient He is with us. And that much of the time, the reason that we get ourselves into these critical holes and we get divided is because we've stopped listening to the Spirit of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, what did we learn so far? It says they were all filled, right? Meaning the apostles. Raise your hand if you think that's what, uh, what the Scripture is saying. That they were all filled. That's, those were the words. I'm, I'm taking them right out of Scripture. How many of you think it, it means the apostles? Those 12 guys that are now in the room. Alright, how many of you think it's all 120? Raise your hand if you think it's all 120. God, please give them their reward in heaven. Fantastic. It fell upon all people. So, here's one of the areas we're going to dive into. You ready? Baptism of the Holy Spirit 
sealing of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Were they doing something to make this happen? Were they in prayer asking the Lord to baptize them with the Holy Spirit? No. How do we know that? Well, number one, it doesn't explicitly say. So maybe they were in prayer. Probably not. Because when Hebrews went to prayer, they were in one of two positions. They were either on their knees or they're standing. What does it say the, the position was of these folks when the Holy Spirit came upon them? They were what? They were sitting. So we have those out there that say, just seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just pray that God would give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Folks, let me just tell you that this instance where the first giving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit did not happen because men solicited it. Men were obeying the words of Jesus. That's all they were doing. Isn't that funny? That's what I said. That's all they were doing. They were obeying the words of Jesus. And in Jesus' time, His perfect time, according to His faithfulness, according to His prophecy, He gave the Spirit. Now let's look at that real quickly. It's intentional. It's fulfillment of prophecy uh, in the, into the new church age. We are now in the church age. Since the ascension, since Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, we are in the church age until He returns at His second coming. Now why is this so fascinating and so interesting? It's intentional. If, if the Holy Spirit didn't come the way that the Holy Spirit shows up here to the 120, then we've got some work to do. We've got, as Ricky Ricardo would say, with this big theological term, what would he say, Carl? That's right. It's for the over 50 group. And you retro fans. Matthew 3.11. We won't turn there. I'll just go back to it. Baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with what? Water. Which, how many of you were in baptism class today? Some of you guys were. Fantastic. Uh, we'll get to more baptism next week. Um, but then he says, but he whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie, he will baptize you with what? With the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, why fire? Why fire? Sounds like I just said Wi-Fi. Why fire? Because for the Jews... They still think like Jews. Go back to Sinai. Moses' encounter with the Almighty was what? There was fire. The people were led by a pillar of fire. For the sake of time, I'll stop there. But let's just help you understand that that had significance in the symbolism. And if there's a group of people that believe in symbolism, it's the Jewish nation. So not only historically would that make sense to them as far as their understanding of God, right? But secondly, Jesus said that that would happen. So I don't want you to get so hung up with, well, hang on a second now. I have never had fire or a fire tongue or anything like that show up and sit on my head. Because it sounds like that's what's... Yeah, Lauren, just relax. We're okay here. It's not going <laughs> to... I hope it's not. If it does, you'll be okay, okay? Because you're in God's protection. 
just like John speaks in Revelation, he's doing his best to describe things that he sees. Luke is describing to all of us, decades after this happened, the best way he can articulate what happened. It was intentional. Why the fire? What did the fire look like? I, I, I don't know what the fire looked like. I don't know that it had any significance. Other than to those in the room, there would be no doubt where it was coming from. Do you understand that? So it's almost this concept that, that God comes to you the way you need to see Him. He doesn't change who He is, but He comes to you and reveals to you the way that you're going to understand and that faith is finally going to take root. These 120 really needed to see God the way that they understood Him and help move in that transition to the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. So God reveals the coming of the Holy Spirit with tongues of fire. They rest on them And it came with the sound of what? A rushing wind. And that's what the crowd heard, was this mighty rushing wind. And they probably saw something that, res that, that rested on this area, wherever this room was that they were residing. They probably saw that. And so thousands of people gathered. And that's why I think the, the location of the upper room had to be somewhat close to the western wall. Right? Because you're not going to get thousands of people going. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, they all, they're not fitting in the upper room. So it's intentional. The Spirit unites intentionally. Second, it's international. Purposefully strategic to use Pentecost for the proliferation of the Gospel. What does that mean? It's some sweet alliteration. But all that means is this. Is that God used a moment that He had superintended to fulfill the prophecy of His Son's commandment in Acts 1.8. Isn't it amazing? I've studied this stuff for a very long time and I've never made this connection before. Remember the verse out of 1 Thessalonians, we'll close today with this in, in just a little bit, where it says, He is faithful, He will do what He says He's going to do. And is that not where we struggle so much of the time? God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And yet what does He do? He shows up with this mighty breath of wind at what time? when all the Jews from every nation would be gathered where they could see it and hear it and experience it, you think that's by happen chance? No, it's intentional. The Holy Spirit is intentional when He comes to you, in those moments that He comes to you. The baptism of the Spirit is that which God gives to individuals so that they might be sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've not met a person outside of this event, even in the New Testament, even as we work through Acts, you come to me and show me if I miss it, but this is a unique experience in this moment. One of the reasons is because Jesus is now gone. The authority is gone. And so there needs to be something supernatural. There needs to be something amazing and astonishing to say the power of Christ resides right here with these 120. Listen to them. You better come back next week so you understand exactly how that point works. But it's intentional, and it was international. God speaking to all hearts, all men. No segregation, right? God spoke to men from all over the place. Men and women from all over the place. That was a whole new thing. That the message of Christ, the message of salvation was going to all men. Let's look at the last point. It was inspirational. You want to know if it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you? Well, 
It's intentional when it happens. Um, it may or may not be international in your situation. If it happens here, it's definitely international. But it is always inspirational. It is always inspirational. Providing a mass audience through irresistibly unexplainable occurrence. Were you inspired by Erica Van Kirk's story? If you're not, you don't have a pulse. I love telling that story. Because it reaffirms, reassures me of the power of the Spirit and how it's been manifested in my life over the years. Right? So the Spirit shows up and it's inspirational. Men drop what they're doing and run to see what's going on. And the words that Luke used to record was that they were amazed and astonished. They were inspired. If our churches were more like this week in, week out, well, you fill in the blank. The Spirit speaks to all. Speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, what does this mean? Speak in other tongues as He gives them utterance. I'm trying to find my point here. Tongues is translated as language. All right? There's, there's really no, no really getting around that. Um, it's translated as language, a known and understandable form of communication. I'm going to deviate a little bit here to tell you why I'm making a point of this. Is because there are those who are believers that um, say that, uh, that practicing tongues is what's called ecstatic speech, right? And it's an unintelligible um, utterance that the Holy Spirit uses uh, with individuals. Now, those fit in other passages. We'll get to that. That's where I'm going to stay on focus here. So I want to clarify that that even those who believe in ecstatic speech, they would not, as far as I know, they would not say that that's what was happening here. Why do we know that? Because it says that people heard their own what? Language. The Greek word here is uh, glossé. And it's the word for language. It can't be misinterpreted. And not only that, when you get towards the end of this passage, verse 12, verse 13, in this section or this theme, it says that they all heard it in their own language. Right? It doesn't use the word tongue. So there's verification that there was something that needed to be translated. Now, there's a reason for this. Remember where we just came from, that the Spirit unites. It brought all these people from different languages together, but they're not communicating. And what what happens? The Holy Spirit unites them with the same message. That listen to these men. The power of God resides with these men. And we'll, we'll flesh that out a little bit more next week, right? But tongues is translated as language, a known and understandable form of communication. Why would God choose to work this way? Because He has an agenda. He has a purpose. God's speaking to all. He wants to bring all men into salvation. As many who will what? Receive Him. Well, you've got a language barrier issue. So He's going to use the Spirit to do something supernatural for His purposes so that the church goes from 120 to over 5,000 in one day. Amazed and astonished? That doesn't just happen. But it happens with intentionality. And it happens because the Spirit speaks. Have you heard the Spirit speak to you? Would you know the Spirit if He spoke to you? Let me just encourage you this way. That a lot of times, if, if you're confused on this and you're not sure, most of the time, 
the initial understanding of the Spirit working life, well, first of all, let me say this, it will never contradict Scripture. Amen? It will never contradict Scripture. The Spirit's job is to counsel you. Remember Jesus' words where he says, I have to leave so that the Helper may come and He who is greater than I. Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to fill a greater purpose in your life than I even will. I, I can't really wrap my head around that much, but, but we'll break that out and flesh that out a little bit more as we move through Acts. So what, but what could that possibly mean on a, on a cursory level? It means that it is so desperately important to hear the Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in Him, you've heard from the Spirit. Because some of you in this room today, you don't know Jesus Christ yet. And, and God Himself says this, to believe in the spiritual things is foolishness to the natural man. So how do you move from foolishness or, or, or from being brilliant and, and not believing in God into what would be foolishness to the natural man and being sold out to it within a split second? There is only one way. 2 Corinthians 4 says that the Spirit lifts the veil from our eyes and that which is somewhat dimly seen all of a sudden becomes the conviction. It becomes the conviction. We cannot seek Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with Him until the Holy Spirit reveals that to us and draws us to Him. So there's one. Secondly, conviction or encouragement or peace in the midst of a storm. That's much of how the Spirit speaks to you. Reminding you of Scripture when you need encouragement, that's the Spirit. This past summer, there were a couple things that the Spirit spoke to me on. They were big things, important things. How did I know it was the Spirit? Because I've been tracking how the Spirit has spoken to me in the past and the results of those decisions and how God used those. That was confirmation of what I heard back here, right? So when I hear it again, you better believe I pay attention to it. Because when I'm on sabbatical this past summer and the Lord comes to me and says, through His Spirit, it's time for this church to move forward into the greater things that I have for it that's going to require that you're no longer with the school. I'm like, what, 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 what? Right? The whole say what, what, wait, what? You know, that, that's a game breaker here maybe for some people. You, you sure that's what you're saying? Are you sure that's what you're saying? And he wouldn't let me get away from it. And so when we have a vote from the congregation, that in essence, other than one abstention, was unanimous to break away from a relationship that we, we love, we care, we're, we've nurtured for 29 years, that's the Spirit. That's the Spirit. When the Spirit speaks, you have to sometimes strain to hear it. But it will always speak to who Jesus is. It will always speak to the truth of Jesus. It will always speak to Scripture. And then as He comes to you, it will come in the form of comfort, encouragement, um, guidance. Sometimes it will come in the sense of conviction. But that's how the Spirit interacts with us. 
And hopefully we don't have to have someone come up to us, you know, in German and tell us what we need to do. By the way, I have been overseas and I've had someone pray for me because my back went out. It was going out and they prayed over me in tongues and they claimed the the gift of healing. My back went out completely a half hour later. So I I wish I had the chance to go back and check the credentials of this individual. Um, But I've also been with people that absolutely unequivocally God uses and, and they know the Lord. And they have been in places where language barrier was an issue. And the Lord spoke exactly this way in order that the message of Christ would go out. And it was verifiable. And it's always fun to hear that happen with people who don't think that this happens anymore. And they're amazed. Right? A fulfillment of Acts 1.8 in the broadest sense. Let's get to this and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up quickly. Look at Acts 1.8. So it says this. I'm going to back it up to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, these guys were still focused on what they thought was going to happen, their own expectations. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Are you not fascinated at what just happened? First of all, Jesus says, reset your expectation meter. Because it's for the Father to tell you when these things are going to happen. Second of all, you're going to sit and you're going to wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you're going to have power. What was this power? These people knew that they were Galileans. These people knew that these individuals did not have the ability to speak Carpathian. Anybody speak Carpathian? And so there's power. There's real power. To the point where people are amazed and astonished. Do you think these words are suddenly starting to crystallize? The last words of Jesus? And they're like, wait a minute. We just received power in this overwhelming... They probably can't keep up right? From what's happening in real time to like, he said this was going to happen. And now we're walking outside, and what do we have in front of us? We have people from Jerusalem. We have people from Samaria. We have people from Judea. We have people from all over the known world, right in front of us. Made to order, fast food order of Jesus's prophecy to go, right? Never struck me before. Now these guys go out and continue to carry the message to the utter ends of the earth. But Jesus immediately fulfills this prophecy. He says, you will be. Remember we talked about this two, three weeks ago, that this is emphatic language. It's not passive. You will be. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Witness means speak about Jesus. What do you think they were speaking about? You're going to find out next week. Amazing. It's a fulfillment of Acts 1.8 right away. Do you trust Jesus when He says He's going to do something that He's going to do it? And He does it through the power of His Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural act that caused supreme interest. That should be the hallmark of our church, brothers and sisters. It should be the hallmark of our church. The Spirit astonishes for truth. 
Not for any other reason. Not to be amazing. And this is part of the problem that happens within the church when we, when we focus on some of the gifts of the Spirit. Is that it becomes astonishing, and so we want that. Go to Acts 8 for your homework. A guy named Simon. Now you see me, now you don't. Right? And he saw what these guys were doing in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he believed. It says he believed. But then he saw the healing. He's like, hold on. Uh, that's legit. That's real. And he makes the Cardinal Judas sin. By the way, when you look at, at this, we're not going to go to it right now, but when you look at it, I can almost hear Peter thinking about Judas. It's still an open sore for him. Because Peter grabs this guy and says, you better pray. You better pray that your soul is still in the clutches. It's hyperbole, okay? That your soul is still in the clutches. Because what you just did in offering to pay for the gift of the Spirit is an anathema. This is not how it works. Folks, this is part of the problem. Is we get so enamored with what the Spirit does in, in some, of, some of these supernatural things that we think that that's what it's all about. It's not what it's all about. The Spirit gives appropriately to whom He needs to work through for the appropriate situation. So that what? We look to Christ. And we look to our salvation. That's why the Spirit gives. Now how the Spirit wants to give, that He, he gives abundantly and He gives sparingly in, in certain situations. But He doesn't give all of us the same gifts. He doesn't give all of us the same abilities. And the challenge for you and I is to say, the Spirit is going to astonish through my life in a different way than He is in Joe's life or Anna's life or Victoria's life. But I have to focus on what He wants to do in my life and how He's going to gift me. But it should be an astonishing thing. They were amazed and astonished. The Spirit's work always leads to the truth of Jesus. The Spirit's work provides assurance as to the truth of Jesus. I spent a lot of time making this point about Acts 1.8. Did it build the confidence of anybody in the room? That when Jesus says what He says about coming back, when Jesus says what He says about sanctifying you, which is our verse that we're going to close with with our benediction today, when He says all these things, do you really, really believe that? You see, this early church, these 120 that's about to go over 5,000 in a tipping point because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they really, really believed it. To the point where they lived with no excuses. They just walked in the Spirit and they pointed to Jesus and they testified about Jesus. Oh, that the church would be astonished and amazed. So much so that we would live in the assurance that Jesus will do what He says He will do. Last point. The Spirit's work reassures us as we walk in the truth of Jesus. You know, to enter into relationship with your spouse is a beautiful, wonderful thing. I gave you a little window of insight into Janine and I's beginning. But you know, every day is both exciting and a challenge because every day is, is dynamic. It's not static. We're not sitting still. And so we both need to care for one another rather than just say, you need to care for me. We need to care for one another. We need to be involved. We need to be seeking. We need to be active. And when we are, our marriage is thriving. You get that, right? Same thing applies 
with our, our dynamic with the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. As the church, the more that we are active, the more that we are involved, the more that we live without excuse, the more that we put ourselves into it, that relationship blossoms and we will be amazed, we will be astonished, and the people around us will be amazed and astonished because now we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own power. Amen? Big question. Whoops. Uh, where'd I go? Here we go. The most important question in all of Scripture. Really? Now I've got you saying what again, don't I? What is it? Here it is. What does this mean? Not my question. Go back to verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. All these people are gathered. They see the power of the Holy Spirit and it leads them to say what? What does this mean? You cannot have relationship with Jesus Christ until you've asked that question. What does this mean? I'm going to try it and answer. It's what Jesus says. It's what Jesus does. That's what it means. My last point to you is, have you been amazed and astonished yet? Brothers and sisters, if you have not, you may have been, and I'll, go, I'll be this bold, you may have been tricked into a false understanding of salvation. Because so much of the time what happens here is it's, hey, just pray this prayer and you're in. I'm going to be bold enough to say John, the disciple, had a very different understanding of that. And that was, and Jesus had a very different understanding of that. But John quotes Jesus and says, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by the Spirit being upon them. And the question for you and I today as we try to answer this question, what does this mean? You have to start with the idea, has the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you? Leave today amazed and astonished in asking that question. Amen? Amen.